I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Hello, welcome to another Batman the Animated Podcast, an interview variety show for your ears about the 1990s classic and cult cartoon Batman the Animated Series. I'm your host, Justin Michael. Today, we're sponsored by Yellow Spandex 4th of July Uniforms. Why wear red, white, and blue when you can wear the classic 4th of July color, yellow? Hey, speaking of 4th of July, guys, happy Independence Day if you're from the United States of America, and happy just another day if you're not. I've got two great guests for you guys. First up, we've got the fan interview with Matthew Scott Montgomery, who is an actor. He's a podcast host of the Goosebumps podcast. Welcome to Deadcast. Check it out. Uh, But today, he'll be bringing in his love for Mean Seasons. Also, later, Rich Fogel, Batman series writer, the guy who came up with the story for this episode. He's got a lot to say, and you've got a lot to listen. Is that a thing people say? I don't know. Let's curtail that by jumping into today's episode. Mean Seasons. Fashion turns deadly when Paige Monroe, a disgruntled model, creates seasonal chaos and a series of not-so-pretty kidnappings as she avenges the age-conscious trappings of a youth-oriented fashion world. Story by Rich Fogel, written by the late and great Hilary J. Bader, directed by Hiroyuki Aoyama. God, I know I pronounced that wrong. Music by Shirley Walker, animation by TMS, so you know it's gonna be a pretty one. Featuring guest stars Seela Ward as Calendar Girl slash Paige Monroe, Barry Bostwick as Irv Kleinman, Tippi Hedren of The Birds as Donna Day, Robert Costanzo as Harvey Bullock, Mel Winkler as Lucius Fox, Charlie Rocket, SNL's Charlie Rocket, as Frederick Fournier, Robert David Hall as a reporter, and Dennis Haysbert, a.k.a. President in 24, as Barkley James. And he's not known for anything else. Uh, okay, guys, let's move into it. As I mentioned, today's fan guest is Matthew Scott Montgomery. He's an actor, he's a host of the Goosebumps podcast, Welcome to Deadcast, and he's also a huge Batman fan. In fact, he brought a backpack full of odds and ends, including a Clayface action figure, a couple of Batmen, and a Batmobile. So, guys... We had a great time. He's got a lot of enthusiasm for this episode. He's got a lot of enthusiasm for the series, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So, you know, why am I even talking? Let's get to the interview. I think that's why I like Commissioner Gordon, because his hair looks delicious. Yeah, it does. It looks like whipped topping. Oh, you know what it looks like? Is the is, He's got the same hairstyle as the Ghostbusters logo. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's kind of like Egon Hare, except his is like pissy with the New Year's Eve thing with the commissioner and Batman or whatever getting coffee. Like I watched that from like the 26th to the 31st. I love watching these episodes in a themed fashion. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, completely. One of the reasons why Mean Seasons is one of my favorite episodes was because there's just a, a Jack Lantern in it for a second. And I love Halloween so much that like for like for in October, I watch um, uh, uh, Night of the Wolf or... Uh, um, Moon of the Wolf? Moon of the Wolf. I'm sorry. Wow, what a fail on my part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Most I, of the world knows the difference between those Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm super embarrassed. Um, and I recently got that on VHS as well because I have a VCR in my bedroom. So I like, I much prefer watching old VHS tapes that I get on Amazon.com for like a cent. And so like, if you look up just like, if you search Batman the Animated Series on VH, VHS for a cent, you can get these random collections that, that like... I don't know how they were put together. They were just like random episodes. And one's called like Monsters. And it's, I think it's Beware the Creeper, Moon of the Wolf, and Baby Doll, and the, Beware the, did I say Beware the Creeper already? Yeah. Um, uh, whatever. There's like a collection of them. And the second I saw that Baby Doll was on VHS, um, Moon of the Wolf was on VHS, and then the Clayface ones like all got. And you can just, they just are like unofficially unauthorized like somebody put these together someone put them together and it sells them on do you like them on vhs just because it like brings you back to a nostalgic completely yeah it was like the one of the things about i mean like we as like a society right now we're like 90s 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 like nostalgia stuff like that but the thing is as a kid like especially with goosebumps and things like batman the animated series and and Batman Beyond, and there's like a handful, like Daria and Doug, and like there's a handful of things that as a kid, I thought I was going to grow up and find stuff that I liked more, and then I never did. And so I think a lot of people started to pick up on that. Like they're like, oh, like in 2016, you know, like everything was so much better than 90s, blah, blah, blah. So that's why I think like podcasts like this and like the Goosebumps podcast, I have like people want to like reconnect with that stuff. And part of it being on VHS does feel the same. Yeah. It feels like you just got out of school. You don't have a care in the world. It's like 3.30 and you throw in a VHS tape and it's like full screen. It's like kind of staticky. And I it's wish like I had on. my old tapes. Oh, man. Yeah. I recorded them off of TV yeah. when I got home from school. Yeah. And like meticulously organized. Like yeah. part of it, I think, was I was like an OCD kid. Sure. <laughs> so I was like, great. Let me like write the list of the episodes and have a different villain's, dr- like a drawing of the villain. Of wow. Like <laughs> Dan and I did the same thing. We would like, we didn't tape Batman all the way through. I, th- I would try to tape Buffy episodes at first. I'd want to get them in order, and I wouldn't tape the commercial breaks. Right, I So I'd sit either. there, and I'd stop recording, wait, and then press record again. Like yep, that's sitting really close yeah. to the VCR. Yeah, and that stuff makes me happy, and it still does to this day, so that's why I revisit all that stuff. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. We're keeping this. This is already a great conversation. Okay, great. Uh, this was supposed to be an audio test, but it's already like, <laughs> interesting and fun. So, Matthew. Hi. <laughs> how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm happy to be surrounded by Batman action figures and talking about Batman. That makes me very happy. Yeah, you brought a backpack full of your old Batman toys. We I've, should start with that. Yeah, I feel like a certain kind of person would be embarrassed by the toys that I brought, but I'm embarrassed by the toys that I didn't bring because I feel like this is such a, like like a pathetic assortment of the ones that I have left that survived the test of time. I'm literally holding Batman Beyond, like translucent blue Batman Beyond, like in my hand or whatever. And I brought, I brought two versions of Batman Clayface, who's my favorite. And then the Batmobile with the like bat plane, the bat wing thing that like separates pulls out of it. Yeah. Something we never saw happen in. No, I guess. No, I don't think we did. Just a cool action. Yeah. 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 So I I had those in my bedroom to this day. I have them just kind of like on this like little tower. And I thought I would, if I don't bring them today, then when do I bring those things? Yeah. When else are you going to show those off to someone who is invested? Yeah. No, I knew you would appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, 
I wanted to bring you on for a while now. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we were saving it for a very special episode like this. Sure. Uh, what's your... When did you first watch Batman? What was your first memory? My first memory of Batman. You know, as a kid, I was really into stuff that was darker always. Um, I always appreciated things that didn't pander to children, and I always wanted things to be more dramatic and more serious. As a kid, my favorite movie was Harriet the Spy, because in that movie, there's like the parents like are always kind of fighting and like vaguely drinking, and like there's the first like 15 minutes are kind of dark, and like my I grew up in the South. And, you know, part of our culture there is to just shove everything down and not talk about things and pretend everything's okay. Right. So there was this innate sense in me as a kid just wanting drama. Like, I just wanted dramatic that stuff. That stressed me out about that movie so much. Really? Like when everybody finds out that she's been writing about them. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I love gossip. Yeah. <laughs> as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or now. Who doesn't actually yeah. know, still enjoy it? But I was just like, no, 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 no. I know. No, they can't. No. <laughs> Oof. I remember seeing, I saw that movie in New York as a kid because even though I grew up in the South, the majority of, of our family is in New York City. And I remember just feeling all these things I'd never felt before as a kid because, I don't know, I just craved drama for some reason. So the Batman was this thing that I kind of stumbled across. We moved a lot as kids. I keep saying the North and the South, but we moved like from North Carolina to Texas to New Jersey and then back to North Carolina in the span of a few years. And one of the things that was consistent was comics and cartoons and Goosebumps books. A lot of the love from the... I, the, I have a Goosebumps podcast called Welcome to Deadcast. It's great. Um, Listen to it. Thanks, guys. Um, and I... Uh, that was consistent. You're moving around a lot. So I think it was the, it was the fact that it was so dark and it was so like uh, adult. You know, even today, I rewatch it all the time and I just appreciate that so much. So I think I like identified with it for some reason as a kid and I just kind of always remember it being a thing. And I particularly liked... Clayface and Baby Doll. And I think, and this Mean Seasons episode uh, eventually, but but I think it was because, you know, Matt Hagen being an actor in Clayface and just the something about that as a kid identifying with, with even with Baby Doll 2, where I, as part of my the entertainment that I love so much is people who like get obsessed with like physical appearance and then it kind of all like devolves. Yeah, all three of them were like obsessed with looking a yeah. certain way. Yeah, and, and I don't losing know. That. It must be I must need therapy or something or it must come from somewhere. But all those characters I like love so much. You know what I mean? That stuff to me is you know, maybe being like a little gay kid growing up, there's something about identity and like hiding who you are or something yeah. like that. And then like expressing yourself and things like that. I remember, as a kid, the mudslide episode of Clayface I cried afterwards because Mudface, I mean, Mudface, Clayface was like dead. I guess he wasn't, but like he like, you know, um, dissolved in the water at the yeah. end. And I was holding my Clayface action figure sobbing and I went downstairs and my mom was like, Clayface is dead. And she's like, what is this show that you're watching? Like, this is like too upsetting for you. But I love that. I don't know what it was, but like the drama about it. I well, just... there's also something so sad because in that episode, all he was trying to do was like, Stay together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, hold it yeah, together, it's... and Batman ends up, like, destroying his life. Yeah. Granted, he's a monster. Right. There's something so so great about... I know you've talked about on the show so much, but, like, um, these villains that we have are so complicated. You know what I mean? Like, um, uh, Clayface and, and, and Two-Face and things like that, where they're, like, Pixar villains in a way where they started out thinking they were doing the right thing in a way, and mm -hmm. it, it kind of twists and got warped along the way. I mean, like, of course, you have your Jokers and things like that, but you have people like Harley Quinn, who's who's not necessarily good or bad, you know what I mean? It's just because of circumstances and things like that 
you know, they're complicated characters. And I really appreciate that. It wasn't dumbed down for kids at all. And I felt like as a kid, I could handle that stuff and I was ready to. And so I always look forward to Batman, the animated series and it being dark and stuff. I think it's so interesting what you said about like it being consistent in your life. Yeah. Because uh, I, I haven't thought about it like that, but I was like, oh, yeah. There was, at least in my life, you know, things were difficult at times as yeah. a kid. Uh, I'm in comedy. Yeah. So I feel like there is that like kind of like what can you rely on? And it's like these yeah. few like weird kind of like nerdy constants. Like yeah. Batman will always be Batman. Right. And then yeah. there are all these villains who are troubled and you can sort of... Yeah. I feel like the, like moving around a lot as a kid or like varying levels of popularity depending on what school you're in where it's like going from being like a total loser to not or whatever. Coming home as a kid to like 3.30 yeah. or 4 o'clock knowing that Batman was going to be on whether you were in New Jersey or Texas or North Carolina or whether you had a bad day or not or something like that. And to this day I'm still like stunted growth like watching the same stuff <laughs> over and over. Like literally ordering new VHS not new old VHS tapes from Amazon like in the last couple of weeks just to have that kind of stuff on. I like having it on and I like watching it. Oh man. Well let's talk mean Seasons. Yeah, let's do it. So you specifically asked for this when we talked. You I already did. mentioned a yeah. little bit of why you like it, but like, what is yeah. it that stands out for you? Um, there's so much in this episode. I mean, like, th- you have like, there's a lot of kind of meta comedy stuff with like the Jurassic Park ish shout outs. Mm-hmm. One sequence that I love so much is when it's like the upfronts for like these TV shows. That holds up in such a funny <laughs> it's way. So it's funny. legitimately funny. Oh man, there's what is it? It's like the teen model one. I wrote them down because I knew I would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's there's model students, model students, and kills the way me. the voiceover is great. It's, it's like, like don't cry, Dana. Dana, so pick for this that, that's, that when they, that's what used to make me laugh so hard was literally this like it's model great. girl with a huge forehead talking to Dana, telling her what's it's inside, and you have all these white people staring at the TV screen, smiling and nodding when like Teen Cop yeah. is like being featured. Teen Cop like is that. the poochie of Batman the animated <laughs> series, like truly uh, inner city street drama with a French attitude. Oh, man, education rules. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. I, I love. That sequence was all that was Paul Dini. Like he was did it? Of that course it was. And I think what was the the network that they're talking about is called like GWB or something. WGBS, WG- which I think was like it was okay. becoming CW at the time. W- oh, was it was really? CW, oh, so. wow. There you go. You know what I mean? Like I love that. And then um, one thing I realized just now was that Seal Ward is the voice of Calendar yes. Girl. Now, Seal Ward, to me, I texted my brother this morning. I was like, did you realize that Seal Ward is the voice of Calendar Girl? I was like, what? Growing up, follow me here. Growing up, my mom's best friend, who is Mrs. Kaliski, but we called her Mama Sue for some reason. <laughs> Mama Sue was obsessed with Seal Ward and would, like, follow her around the United States. And so, like... Every now and then, like, my mom's best friend, like, oh, where's where's Miss Kaliski? She's like, oh, she's, you know, in the South, you know, Seal uh, Ward's having a book tour, so she's going to every stop or whatever. So as a kid growing up, I always thought of Seal Ward as this, like, magnanimous fairy godmother of a woman who, like, my mom's best friend worships Seal Ward. So Seal Ward's, like, this great, amazing actress. And when I was watching it this morning, I was like, God, that voice sounds familiar. And I got a hold, I told, I, I looked it up, obviously, and I was like, oh my God, Seal Ward. Maybe that's why I like this episode so much, is because, like, godmother Seal Ward was involved with it from the beginning. That made me really happy. That's crazy. So, yeah. can you explain to me who Seal Ward is since I'm completely. Seal Ward, how I know Seal Ward is she was an actress that was on a TV show and. She's done a lot of stuff. Um, she recently played the president in something. But how I knew her was this, oh my God, this ABC show called Once and Again. And it was the show that was on in the mid-90s. And it was about like two divorced people 
to a man and a woman both divorce, get married, and their families like kind of joined together. But it was a super drama, mm-hmm. and like Evan Rachel Wood was in it. Was the, like Misha Barton was in okay. it when she was really young. And I used to this classic me take VHS tapes from the Kaliski house and go home and watch them at my place. And I would <laughs> write down the scenes and I would memorize the scenes and I would try to act out. They had, Evan Ra- Rachel Wood and Misha Barton were love interests and they were like 14 year old girls and they had like this really like intense like lesbian like subplot and they wouldn't air the episodes in North Carolina because there was a lesbian subplot so Mrs. Kaliski special ordered the VHS tapes be taped somewhere else and they got sent to her house and then I would sneak these tapes at home watch them memorize the scenes and try to act these out these lesbian dramas at home when I was alone and Celia Ward was like the matriarch of the TV show man yeah that's I'm throwing us so much stuff at you. Today. What a world! No, I mean I I didn't I know that like at the time she was kind of outspoken about this sort of stuff. So she that's was why they yeah. chose her as Calendar Girl, right? And she she had some camp some like campaign or so. I, I I don't really I guess I should know. Maybe I should text Miss Kaliski and ask her what the whole deal was. Mama Sue, <laughs> see what she's up to. Um, but yeah, Just text Mama Sue. Yeah, Mama Sue, what up? So we're talking about Sela today. She'd like get a flight here immediately. She could talk about Sela Ward. Where's that podcast? A stack of VHSs in in front of her face. I never will see. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but she was also like she did like uh, some cookbook for a while, like Southern cooking or something like that that she would do. But yeah, she also had some kind of um, champion women thing going on at the time. And I think this is yeah. So they brought her in. Yeah, there are so many great voices in this episode. I was excited uh, as a weird nerdy Hitchcock kid uh, about Tippy Hedren. Tippy Hedren was in Tippi this episode? Tippy Hedren is Donna. <laughs> are you serious? Donna Day. She, oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. I love Tippy Hedren. Tippy Hedren of the birds. Oh uh, my and, God. I mean, other. that's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. Actually. It's a weird one. I like, I like the first hour a lot. Well, cause he was trying to do like a normal romantic comedy yeah. that suddenly turned into a horror movie. I mean, that's movie. what you got. Reading uh, what she went through on the set of that movie, too. I have, like, such mad respect for her. I used to, be, used to be a running joke with us. We used to call Tippi Hedren a fascinating new personality, Tippi Hedren. Because in the poster for The Birds, it's that's what it would say. A fascinating new personality, what does that Tippi even Hedren. Mean? I don't know. And <laughs> Tippi Hedren was always in quotes. Like, on the posters. Look it up. It's funny. Weird. I can't believe she was on this episode. So Donna Day. Wow. Uh, so I was very excited God, about all that the stops. Uh, Dennis Haysbert, who... All states, Dennis Haysbert. Really? But, you know, as an actor also is yeah, amazing I, and other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he he's the voice of the auto show guy. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's like a really fun one. Wow. They got some really heavy hitters. Yeah. Forget Celia Ward. <laughs> She's me... only the star of the episode. <laughs> you know. Uh, wow. Barry Boswick. Okay. Uh, who was Brad in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Who was he in this episode? He was Irv Kleinman, the sleazy... You know that scene, Batman versus Pervert? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's him. Very yeah, fast. That's, I mean, he's no that's a perfect example of not parenting kids at all. It's like, there's your casting couch caught. That was insane. So this yeah. entire episode, I feel like, is... You know, has a lot of stuff for kids to enjoy, but, like, the themes are very, very much removed. It's about, yeah. you know... Ju- self-judging and how Hollywood aging. is shitty. Yeah. And, yeah, and then the aging B-plot about the guy who isn't, you know... Retiring but doesn't want because he's 65, he has yeah, to quit. Bernie yeah, Bernie something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he was someone famous, too. Uh, I think it was also Barry Boswick who was voicing. Oh, okay. Uh, Get it, Barry. So he was. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like such a strange set of themes for an it episode. It is. Really not adult really relatable themes. to kids. See, that's what, what makes this episode so great, though, is there's yeah. that stuff, and then you have a giant mechanical T-Rex that they fight. Right, for a good chunk of time. Do you, I remember seeing a commercial for... 
I think it was, you know, when they, it was like, um, when they got the extreme makeover of everybody and then there'd be like Saturday morning commercials of like upcoming episodes. And I remember seeing a T-Rex in a commercial and I was like, how the hell is a T-Rex going to be in an episode of Batman? And then I was like, we've been trained to think that is impossible. Yeah. But like we, that's what you get in the mean season episode. You get a giant T-Rex. You get a giant fan being wheeled in. Yeah, you do. Which is not the first time a giant fan has been wheeled in in Batman the animated series. Yeah. The end of Mask of the Fantastic. Of course. (laughs) Oh yeah. And you also get some like Jubilee special powers where Calendar Girl can shoot fireworks out of her fingertips. Yeah, and the fourth And she has magical wrapping paper that can just self-manipulate and wrap around people. Let's talk about how how (laughs) themed she is because she is the only villain I think maybe other than Poison Ivy yeah. who decides to change her costume based on holidays. That, I think that's another reason why I like this episode so much, so much and like Calendar Girl so much because I love holidays so much and, and things like that. Like I, I have certain things that I watch certain times of year certain like scents that I wear and stuff like that depending because I like special things and looking forward to stuff. And so to have well we have we have kind of... She says beware the Ides of March, but it's like springtime. Clearly and have, like Easter, because she throws Easter Yeah, she throws Easter like, eggs. We can't say that on network TV, I think. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I that's, feel like religion in any way, shape, or form was oh, that's kind of true. avoided. I do remember in um, Holiday Nights oh, yeah. saying, oh my God, for the first time. And what a big deal that was, especially in my household, because my mom sat down with me that morning to watch that episode, and she was not pleased with this cartoon that I watch all the time, them saying, oh my God. Which is funny because they barely, they never say it. They're, it's usually oh, yeah. like, oh my heavens. <laughs> right? Or like, oh my stars or yeah. something like that. Something that nobody really Like, what says. is the episode? Oh, in, 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 I think it's Feet of Clay Part 2. It's like, what in the name of heaven? Yeah. He says that. Yeah, interesting. But like, oh my God, that just her going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, was like such a big deal in my house. So I was like, ooh. Um, there you go. You were the target audience that they were. Yeah. The, they were worried about. Yeah. Worried about. Yeah, and I, then I bought a lot of toys, and my mom wasn't thrilled about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had uh, uh, Easter, Easter calendar girl. Yeah, she was green, had Easter themed bombs. Yeah. Man, think of the action figure opportunities for that, right? They got to release a. I also pack. love the little bit, you know, Alice, sweet Alice kind of mask that she has going on. That's a little, a little bit ahead of its time in a way because it's like it was Strangers esque. You know what I mean? I remember how jarring it was to see this white face, and then when she spoke, it was like the Toy Man and Superman. How it's like. Um, uh, you know, you hear the voice, but the face doesn't move, and that's so creepy and effective. Toy Man was one of my favorites. Oh, that's my favorite episode. I mean, he's a hor- he's a straight up horror villain. Oh yeah, like he just is so creepy. I, that's my favorite Superman episode, hands down. Yeah. Is it Fun and Games? Fun and Games. Yeah. A second episode, I think. Second one is rich- really good uh, with the Toy Man. The yeah. one where he has like a, a robot girlfriend, Barbie. Oh like my god, Darcy. yes. Oh my gosh, give me robot girlfriends. There's the, what's that Batman ep- Batman Beyond episode where there's the robot girlfriend at the end of season two. So Terry's love- friend dates a robot. Oh yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I don't remember what happens in the episode, but I bet it's something like that. Oh god, I love Batman Beyond too. I, give me a robot girlfriend. Besides like women and aging and that, that kind of plots, give me robot girlfriends. <laughs> uh, well, you get it all. <laughs> Teniverse. Uh, what do we have? Oh, I think 4th of July is next. Yeah? Yes. She, she's, she's yellow, which is real weird. Uh, it's which is strange. She's wearing like the I don't know why she's not red, blue. white, and blue hat. Yeah, and so are the Chippendales dancers. God. like they have. What a great thing! I love that. I want to shake have... that. Oh, oh, female writer! I want to shake her hand. Hillary uh, I, J. Bader is. The I writer. wish I could shake Hillary's hand and say what Rich a great Fogel. choice that was to have Chippendales dancers surrounding her. It's incredible. She. It's the so late, smart. Great. Uh, she's awesome. Yeah. And Rich came up with the story. Man. What a fun one. I, the fact, because at this point they had started having like 
female, like kind of like goofier henchmen. Yeah. Or, or like henchwomen. Like Mr. Freeze had like Eskimo suit wearing. Oh yeah, you're right. Hench girls. And I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, but this felt right. I always wonder about what was the hiring process of the lackeys and how, how are they involved? How do they get paid or like, what's the deal? And what's, um, uh, I love baby doll, her Miriam, her, her like, Karate fighting, you know. What's assist- the deal with Miriam? What's her deal? Let that back. It felt like it was an unspoken relationship to me, or Maybe. like a weird caretaker, like yeah, the, some sort of like we- like like the baby. Now they would sign stuff. up on Craigslist and be like, "Hi, like adult baby wants like <laughs> yeah. grown woman to treat me like child." Yeah, non-sexual relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is what I need. Yeah. <laughs> so Chippendale's answers was a smart, smart choice for this episode. It kind of makes total sense. Oh uh, yeah. Then the third one. I think was we have Halloween next. Halloween, yeah. which I wanted more Halloween. I did too. Because it was fall in general. It was. Blue I guess because we're going through seasons. Yeah, because it, we we get spring, summer, fall, and then kind of death. You know. I what just I mean? remember like, thing, like when she held a pumpkin bomb. I was like, well, this is the closest we'll get to like the Green Goblin. <laughs> I know it was very it was very Green Goblin Hobgoblin esque. Yeah. yeah, I love that. It was fun. There was also one point where one of the Chippendales dance. Not dancer, I guess. Psychics literally throws a bomb at Batman. Do you, it happens very quickly. <laughs> but he has like a like a cartoon bomb that he throws at him. That's crazy. And it explodes really quickly, but it's like not a big explosion. I was like, what? That's where there's so many like fun little gems in this episode. Yeah, it's it, it's always moving. Like, yeah, it's just like kind of crazy. It's very quippy and punny. Too. Yeah, good. Give me some puns. She's shamelessly punny. Yeah, she is. Um, I like that she. I mean, I like her. Her backstory feels like classic torture it does. Batman villain. Oh, no, it's great. And the twist at the end, of course. Yeah. Which is one of the first things I think about when I think about this episode is that whole thing. I mean, I remember the end of Baby Doll This, Baby Doll That, but, you know, I didn't mean to. That whole end part of it would, like, literally, like, emotionally available lunatic here, but, like, would, like, make me cry kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, it makes me you tear mean, up it's, still. It's so smart and all that stuff. And I think that's why I like this episode similarly, because it identifies in the same kind of way. Well, it's, like, all about the self-hatred. And, yeah. Like, putting it on her. I mean, like, the last line, what is it? She can't see that anymore. All she sees are the flaws. Yeah. It's, like, and then yeah, it just fades out if, on her crying, looking <laughs> in a mirror shark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And what's... Celia Ward, I think, does a really great job, especially if you, you know, if if you guys who are listening to this haven't seen this episode recently and are going to watch it after this or just have watched it, that scream that she has when her mask gets taken off is so like guttural and great. It's like so jarring because she's so you can hear it in her voice how absolutely mortified and terrified she is, and she's this gorgeous woman. Yeah, yeah. It's weird to hear Batman say like she's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it like, is. Oh, okay. And then it's there's some, like kind of some shade going on with Batgirl and stuff like that, where it's like they're like you know googling like you know like Batcave googling pictures of her like old stuff <laughs> like that, and like even Batgirl's kind of like says like. She's like, oh, I think Batman says something about her being like something beautiful girl, and he's like, don't you mean woman? And like, kind of like rolls her eyes about yeah. it or whatever. Like, there's so many levels to this. I can write my senior thesis on this. I mean, honestly, go back, do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's time. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, man. Oh, she has a scythe at the end. She does. She's the grim fucking reaper. Yeah, she is. <laughs> She's celebrating Day of the Dead. And how dark is that? She just has these people tied up, and she's just gonna take this grim reaper scythe and just. I don't know, chop their heads off or whatever? Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's, like, wow, okay. I'm going sh- to show them a slideshow. Yeah, like, very John Cusack, family, Adam Stanley Values, showing, the, like, the the uh, the slideshow. And then once they learn their lesson, just, de- you know, like, dead. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Dark. Like, she is about to do that. She literally it. is. 
thank God Batman saves the day. You know what Ooh. I mean? Like, otherwise their heads would be chopped off. That scythe flies pretty far, too, and it, it, like, it does. hits a table with, like, a bow, 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 <laughs> yeah. perfectly. I feel like, though, if we had an action figure for Calendar Girl, I mean, I, how would that work? If because... you could choose one outfit, <sighs> what would it be? I mean, obviously I have to say the Halloween one because orange is my favorite color, and just the idea of that action figure holding the jack-o'-lantern seems really fun to me but there is something really effective about her in all black with a giant scythe with it you know what I mean I wish there's some way where it's like you know dip her in cold water and she changes colors or something like that if that could work somehow <laughs> to me my dream. least favorite is the 4th of July one just because the yellow just looks like there's mustard spilled on my my tablecloth at the, at the 4th yeah, of July party what the party. going on with the I yellow don't know. I don't know it, it makes zero it sense it doesn't make any sense I guess they have to come up with a line for all the seasons like all the four different ones for her I guess yeah I'm done with it. You yeah. know, I'm done with the episode based off of the color choice for her costume in that one section. What's her, Paige Monroe, yeah? Paige Monroe. What Paige a perfect Monroe. name, too. Oh, no, that's really great. Yeah. That's another one of the things I love so much about this show was, and I know you've talked about it time and time again, but and I was, I was trying to... I, my boyfriend is, is is much younger than I am, and he's very unfamiliar with the show. And I was trying to try. I was showing him some episodes of VHS and trying to explain to him why it's so great and things like that. And one of the things, and this is similar in, in Harriet the Spy as well, is because it is timeless in a way that it's modern, but it's stuck in like the '40s a little bit. You know what yeah. I mean? Where it's like there's all this like modern technology, but then the TVs are black and white, and there's all this kind of stuff that you can't really tell what time period it's in. It's kind of like an amalgamation of a lot of different time periods. Yeah, the names just sound like they're from like a Raymond Chandler novel. Yeah, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah, they're Page like Rose one noirish. Or yeah, the noir aspect of it, like I really like that. But then you, but you know, there's so much noir stuff about Gotham inherently. But then you know, have an episode like this where it's really, really modern, where it's like they're basically talking about Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they're having. Like like an upfront for TV shows that are sexy and modern and stuff like that. But there's so much stuff that's so deliciously antiquated in a Dick Tracy kind of way that I love so much. Ooh, deliciously antiquated <laughs> in a Dick Tracy kind of yeah. way is what should be on the poster for Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. If it I was trying to explain that to I'll try and explain that to boyfriend, but um, that's uh, his Dick, name, Tr- his Dick legal Tracy. Name is boyfriend. Was, yeah, he's he's just boyfriend. Great, I, great. I recently got to work with. Do you know who Glenn Headley is? No. She played Tess Trueheart in Dick Tracy. Does that mean anything to yes. you? Yes. I was just on stage with her, and I kissed her a whole lot. Like we had, I had to like she kissed me, and I like kissed her a whole bunch, and like that was so surreal for me as an actor because it was this woman who was like a, the love interest in Dick Tracy when I was like two years old and now I'm like on stage with her and she's like a weird thing yeah right? she's like over twice my age and I'm like kissing this woman it was like kind of amazing anyway that was just me wanting to brag and name drop I guess hey man you gotta do what you gotta do you're being <laughs> recorded this is the time to name drop <laughs> yeah uh, were there any any other thoughts on the episode I'm trying to think we went through so much of it I mean obviously I came ready to talk about literally all of it I mean um, I, the the sequence that stands out the most to me is the first thing that we talked about, which is all the TV shows and things like that. That that part is so fun. Oh, she turned thirty. That's why she feels like how. Yeah. Which I am thirty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it yeah. feels very weird. Yeah, that's to so. Now think of that as like like I don't think I got that as a kid. It wasn't, I was like, yeah, thirty is old. <laughs> wasn't um. Uh, Baby Doll was like 30 as well, right? I guess that's just the age where we all die. Yeah, I think so. Goodbye. 30s when actors die. Yeah, see ya. No, there was well, there was something I was going to say about... I just want to give some more oxygen just for a second to the casting couch scene. Yes. Like that kind of sequence. Because 
I don't know if as a kid I really fully got all of that, even though I appreciated it, like not being, you know, watered down or whatever. But that was the thing that was most shocking rewatching it very recently as this morning was I was like, damn, like what's going on here? Like what if, if Batman hadn't showed up, is this like, you know, this is the world that we live in. But this is also the same season. Mad Love was the season. Uh-huh. Yes. And so I guess, you know, and this was the final season, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was. Yeah, because there's only four seasons. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, and so I guess they're just throwing it all at the wall and seeing what stuck sensor-wise, and they got away with it. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy that we see this sleazy casting couch guy. Yeah. Uh, it's so satisfying to see Batman busted up. Yeah. Although, there's a weird moment where Batgirl's like, I would run if I were you. Yes! And I was like, why are you bullying the girl who's getting victimized? Well, see, I didn't see it like that. How I saw that was... My reaction to that line was... The implication to that is if she had stayed, something dark would have oh, happened. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'd run if I were you to get... A, well, I heard that is, I'm, you run away from this skeezy dude because he's going to, I don't know, rape you or whatever I like that is. so much more than my interpretation because I was like, why is Batgirl being shitty to this No, girl? see, that's... that. To me, it was like, girl, you better get out of here because right. we can't trust men's. Like, that's like that's how <laughs> that I... That is Batgirl's vibe for the rest <laughs> of the episode, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how I saw that line. And I just remember thinking like... You know, if you're a kid watching that and you have to like deduce <laughs> what she's meaning by that, what she's talking about, you it's like an inevitable conversation about sex that you have to have. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's another one of the reasons why I love this show so much. Yeah, what are you gonna explain to your kid? It's like, so why was that horrible gross old man yeah. sitting with that that young girl yeah, well, before Batman came? What was in? gonna happen? What was going to happen after? You afterwards? know what I mean? Yeah. Why was Batman mad? Yeah. Mean seasons. There we go. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> uh I you've we blazed through everything. We did. I guess we did. Yeah. Man. I'm trying to think of anything else. That was one of the best discussions of an episode ever. Yeah? Yeah. Good. I mean, this. I guess that's one of the reasons why I like this, or I brought up this episode, is because not, I always wanted more. I, so I was saying to you before we turned the mic on about, or I meant to say it if I didn't, um, I was always wanting like more female characters yeah. and, and villains and things like that. For some reason, I, I don't know. It might be too easy to say because I'm like gay, like that, that has something to do with it. But like, I always thought those characters were more interesting to me somehow. Like in, when Superman, I was watching Superman, I would always look forward to like what was going to be the Poison Ivy, what was going to be the uh, Harley Quinn of, of Superman. We got like Live Wire and I a couple. It never quite did it, didn't, it for me. It didn't, quite, it didn't quite do it for me for some reason. Um, but I think I was excited. I mean, Roxy Rocket kind of fell flat for me too, which another. Which is crazy because it's great design, great idea. Yeah. That one also, the sexual undertones in that are. Overtones, I'd say. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Those she wants are, to fuck Batman. Those Should are. Be- <laughs> and she like essentially has an orgasm on the rocket at the end. You know what I mean? That that's one of the ones I got on VHS recently as well. And I was rewatching that. She's like racing towards a cliff with him, like riding a and rocket. And she's like and she's going like uh, uh like doing making sounds like that and she's like it's called the ultimate thrill. You right. know what I mean? Like this that was, she gets off. <laughs> maybe that yeah, yeah. That one that goes a little that almost goes a little too far for me. But I Calendar Girl was exciting because it was another kind of sexy, complicated female villain. I loved Poison Ivy so much. Loved Harley, like, like all the female villains. I like, re, you know, really I identified with. I don't know, but like those were my favorites. Besides Clayface, you know what I mean. Like those were like my favorite villains. And so to have another one like Calendar Girl, even though in just her, this was just just straight up for 
This was not in any comic at any point, was it? No, there was Calendar Man was a villain in the comics. Oh. But he was totally different. I mean, basically the same thing was like themed calendar crimes. Yeah. But the backstory was totally different. Calendar yeah. Man kind of became like a bigger character because of like Jeff Loeb's The Long Halloween. Oh, I don't know that. Uh, ooh, you should read it because you like Halloween. That sounds like, like something Batman. I would really like. The art is beautiful. Uh, a lot of like the Nolan movies pulled from okay. that. Well, I think we did it. <laughs> I think we everything. Yeah, well, good. Thanks for coming on the Thank show. Thank you so man. much for having me. I'm such a huge fan of this podcast. Yeah, you know, I when I when I stumbled across it, I forget how I found out about it exactly. And you were doing it. It was the thing that made the absolute most sense to me, and really did inspire me and my brother with our Goosebumps podcast. Oh man, you know what I mean? Because I, I was I said this to you before the microphone was on, but it makes me. You know, claim part of myself that I've been keeping to myself somewhat. And then you connect with these people outside in the world where, oh my gosh, these people like the same things I do and stuff that I think is so niche and so specific and I, I hold so personal to me. There is a random person across the world who feels the same way about that stuff. Yeah. And I think when you're passionate about something, you know, I, uh, for our Goosebumps podcast, you know, called Welcome to Deadcast, for our Goosebumps podcast, I have a lot of people who listen who don't necessarily read the books or have read the books or even watch the TV show, but they were kind of on the periphery of it and just want to feel some of that and just like hear what we have to say about that. And that makes me really happy and and geek out in a good way. And there's something I, I so much love about your podcast that's exactly the same thing. And so it's been really cool to be here and I've wanted to be on the show <laughs> since it was a thing. So thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. Man, that was great, right? How could you not like Matthew Scott Montgomery, the man of three names? Guys, I'm getting a little punchy in the old closet. And it's not even the holiday that I am pretending to celebrate. It is before that holiday. So I can't blame it on being drunk or whatever you might blame being punchy on. Let's move on to Rich Vogel, the guy who came up with the story for this episode, a series writer for Batman, Superman, Batman Beyond, Justice League, as well as the Smurfs, Muppet Babies. You heard him on the podcast before. He's back. He's also got a new book out. It's called A Diamond in the Rough. You can get it on Amazon. Check it out. It's kid-friendly. It features baseball and Snow White. Rich is great. This interview is going to be a lot of fun. Please enjoy. In addition to talking about Judgment Day, which we talked about last episode, for those of you that are tuning in again, uh, this time we're talking about another episode that you wrote, uh, or was it the story for? I wrote the story for it. Uh, Mean Seasons. Right. Which is an original villain. For the animated series. Kind of, sort of. By the time we got to the new Batman adventures, um, we were looking to try and use, uh, see if there were other villains from the Batman rogues gallery that hadn't been used in the original run of the series. Um, And so I was pouring through all the back issues and stuff like that. And there was a really lame character uh, called Calendar Man. Um, who basically was sort of like a Riddler knockoff in that his thing was, you know, he would do the mysteries, he would do the the crimes, and it would have some calendar-related thing to it. He was not a very interesting character. But it occurred, somehow the, the wheels got turning, and I got to thinking, well, what if it wasn't a calendar man, but was a calendar girl? And, and uh, there was a lot of... Um, Focus at that moment 
in time on like the emergence of the supermodels as celebrities in their own right. And I got to thinking, well, you know, there's always this sort of this youth movement uh, thing going on. And what if this was a, a supermodel who was past her prime and, and was really angry about it? And in my initial um, conception of it, she had tried to stay young and had had like plastic surgery and all of that. And it had gone wrong and her face was all messed up and everything like that. And that that's why she was so bitter. Um, Bruce liked the idea, um, but he hearkened back to uh, some uh, concept that Jack Kirby came up with in the Fantastic Four uh, regarding Dr. Doom, which was the, the assumption was always that Dr. Doom's face underneath that mask was all messed up and everything like that. Uh, but Kirby came up with the idea that he just had like a little nick or a scar on his forehead and that he was so vain and so much of a perfectionist that he couldn't bear to look at himself. And so he said, why don't we do that with Calendar Girl? Why don't we make it so that, you know, you think that she's all like messed up under that mask, but then it turns out that she's, um, uh, you know, looks perfectly fine. It's just that she can't see it anymore. And so that, that gave us a sort of, um, you know, a good jumping off point for that character that would be something that was different than we had seen before in the other, um, Things. And again, you know, we wanted to try and be in, in the, the Batman world uh, in terms of like exploring the psychology of some of these characters. And so that, that gave us a little bit more complexity than you might see in, in other uh, series. Um, so that being said, she still had the colorful gimmicks of, of doing the, um, you know, the date-themed uh, capers, um, and it was up to Batman to sort out what what was going on. So I came up with the idea. I wrote the outline for it, which basically laid out all all of the beats for it. Um, but we were in production at the same time on Superman, and my recollection is that um, Paul Dini had fallen behind on some of those things that he was supposed to be working on. And so I needed to jump over and help out on some of those uh, scripts. And so um, Hillary Vader came in and she wrote the script for this and then I edited it. So it was passing it back and forth. But this particular episode really was a wonderful stew that um, everybody contributed something to it. Um, so, um, for example, in, in my original pitch for it, um, we, we were thinking about this idea of aging and getting old and stuff like that. And um, I had pitched the idea that maybe she has a gas or something that turns Batman old and that they need to like fix him, but they still needed to stop this person from, from doing this. It got a little too complicated, so we didn't go that direction with it. But, um, but Alan liked the idea of, of, of that, and so he put in the little subplot about the accountant who's retiring. And, you yeah, know, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. And it, interesting to see in a kid show talking, you know, teaching a lesson through retirement. I don't think you see that as often. <laughs> no, not, not very often are kids' shows concerned with retirement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it, it, it tied in really nicely with all the themes of the show. And again, like, like in Judgment Day, it took all of those sort of colorful action things and grounded them in, in a real solid reality. So um, that was a nice contribution that he made. Um, 
Hillary was a wonderful writer. She, she um, unfortunately died uh, of, of breast cancer um, at a fairly young age, so that was unfortunate. Uh, but she was a really interesting character. She had been in children's theater and mime and stuff like that in New York for, for a number of years. And then, I think when she was around 40 or something like that, she got breast cancer and uh, got treatment and got cured, uh, or it was in remission at least. Um, And that was sort of a wake-up call for her. And she was like, well, damn it, there's things that I want to do in my life that I haven't done yet, and I'm just going to do them. And so she had always been interested in getting into television and stuff like that. She was a real genre fan. Um, And I'm not sure the order of these things happened, but um, she bought a motorcycle, Hmm. rode across the country on the motorcycle, and came to L.A. Um, And then she wrote a spec Star Trek script which amazingly got accepted. And she uh, wrote for uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. That's amazing. Uh, And then she got freelance assignments on, I think, the next couple of iterations of uh, Star Trek. And she got a freelance assignment on um, The uh, Adventures of Lois and Clark. So she had like this whole genre background and really loved that stuff. And she was a very energetic and power, you know, excitable person. Um, and so when they were looking for uh, staff writers for Superman getting started, uh, Alan read her Lois and Clark thing and they decided to give her a try and she was put on staff as, as a Superman staff writer. Um, and then she rolled over into uh, doing Batman. And uh, then I can't remember what it was, during Batman or during Batman Beyond. Anyway, she started writing comic books, and she did the. Uh, she wrote. I know on the uh, Batman Beyond, she wrote like the first run of Batman Beyond comic books, um, and she used um, some of the stories that we didn't uh, use in the series. Oh, that's cool. Uh, to sort of springboard off of, and so uh, she asked me a couple of my stories that didn't get used if if I could use those, and, and if she could use those, and I said sure, and so I got like comic book credits that I wouldn't have had otherwise, which was kind of nice. Um, so she was just, just a great lady. And then unfortunately the, uh, the cancer came back and she died, uh, shortly after that. But, um, she was a great person to have in the room because she had so much energy and so much enthusiasm and just was a springboard of ideas, you know, just like, oh, we could do this or we could do that or we could do this and all that. And it's like, okay, just slow down a minute. Let's, let's see which of those ideas is going to work for you. So Yeah, her name is all over that section of the DC Animated Universe. I'm sure fans are very familiar with her name. Yeah. It's good to hear about her. So, um, so anyway, going back to Mean Seasons, uh, since I wasn't available to write the script, she came in and she really brought a lot of nice stuff to it. Um, the um, the uh, scene of the network upfronts is on a Star Trek uh, set, right? Like a look into the future. Yeah, and it kind of has like a '60s Star Trek music in the background. Yeah, exactly. It's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so that's a little wink at her her sort of background uh, coming into it, um, and. Um, 
And during those upfronts, there's a there's a funny little sequence where they're teasing the shows that that um, it's well, it's so funny. <laughs> it's like one. It's like this nice like breath of comedy in the middle of yeah. And and those were Paul Dini. Uh, that was his contribution in this script, and uh, as I said, Alan contributed the the thing with the uh, with the um, accountant who was going to retire, and so everybody, you know, sort of in an in a very positive additive way, you know, put a little something into this script, uh, and so that's that's one reason I think that it came out so well. Um, the the idea of the fashion show and of the solstice automobile um, and of the back lot uh, fight, uh, those were all in the original outline, um, as was the the conclusion you know that we were talking about. There was an additional scene in the outline that I kind of wish that um, we had put in just to sort of make it feel more like a Batman episode. I, I my personal feeling is that this one ends a little bit abruptly. Um, I mean, certainly it's a strong note to finish on, but you, sort, you don't let it, you, you don't have a chance to sort of let it sink in a little bit yeah. if that makes sense. And so I did have that that typical Batman scene of the villain in the cell at the end, but in this case, she was um, marking on the walls the calendars the the days until she gets out. Oh, that's- Good. <laughs> so I would have liked to have seen that in there, but I, I, at some point it got caught, got cut, um, and I don't remember what the reasons were for that. Uh, it may be that it was cut in script, but it may not have been cut until after board. Um, I just don't remember. But the the dinosaur scene in the back lot really grew to be much bigger than it was in the script. I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot devoted to that dinosaur fight. Yeah, which is fun. I mean, it's great. Super fun. Stuff. Uh, second mechanical dinosaur fight in the DC animated universe. <laughs> like the first one was like in a little piece of home. Mm-hmm. That Superman episode, which is in the opening credits. Yeah. Uh, this almost felt like the. Uh, I, I don't know if this was intended, but is the reason to have uh, you know the old T Rex in the Bat Cave uh, as like the the old school representation yeah, of the Bat yeah. Cave with the giant penny and. You know, I think maybe there was some discussion of that at some point. Um, it was just fun. <laughs> it, yeah, it was just fun. I mean, in in the original outline of it, it was a mechanical dinosaur, but it was not one that could like roam around the back lot. You know, it was like more like it would really be if you were doing something like that. But you know, when I saw it, it was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, and this particular episode was one of the TMS shows where uh, they were produced a little bit differently than the other episodes were. Um, the other episodes that went to Don Yang and, and other... And these are animation studios. Yeah. Um, we did the storyboards and the models and everything here and then shipped it overseas for the animation. With the TMS ones, we did the models and things, but they did the boards. And so we would send the models and the script over, and they would board it. Oh, really? And, yeah. And, I mean, it, it looks incredible. Well, they knew what they were doing. They were <laughs> amazing. And so whenever whenever I got a TMS uh, episode, I was, like, really excited. <laughs> um, in the Superman uh, series, they did the, um, the animation for the, um, the Superman Flash um, race. 
episode and that just came out looking amazing so yeah there's stuff there's a lot of like really great attention to detail in their episodes yeah and uh, the draftsmanship is, is always really clean and everything like that things so, look on model yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's always <laughs> um yeah so um so that that was you know you are with the TMS shows, you were always a little bit worried because you didn't know what you were going to get back. And yet you were always real excited because you didn't know what you were going to get back, but you knew it was going to be good. Yeah. Was there anything that surprised you in this episode? Uh, well, I, th- I think the main thing was, was, you know, how much the dinosaur, um, scene had expanded and you know, how mobile the dinosaur was. It felt stuff. more like a smart AI versus yeah. like, just like a it, robot that was being used in a stationary yeah. sort of yeah. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, um, the scene with the agent where they're they're trying to track down Calendar Girl. Oh, yeah, that sleazy agent. The sleazy agent. Perfectly yeah. sleazy. Yeah. Uh, I had an agent at, uh, at that time named Irv, so I named him after that. Oh, perfect name. <laughs> he came out of the womb born to be an agent. Exactly. Old school agent. Um and then uh, the, the sort of sleaziness with the starlet, I think, was something that, that Hillary added in, which was really like makes your skin crawl. Yeah, but that's what, that is what I love about this episode is that like the rationale behind Calendar Girl does feel earned. Like any good villain, you can sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. And that pressure to be beautiful and young, you know, when you're in that industry and like do things to your body, like obviously is still something that happens, uh, was, was very... I thought that was a cool thing for the show to address, yeah, uh, and make a cool villain out of it. <laughs> yeah, um, the the upfronts uh, on the back lot also was was actually based on things that were actually going on at the time as well. Um, the the WB network was was had just gotten started at that point, and their whole thing was this you know youth oriented programming and and you know young beautiful people and stuff like that. So we were able to make fun of that. But as part of their promotion of it, they they did on the back lot have these huge bashes that were I went to one where they had circus performers and and you know just wild stuff all over the place and they would just wine and dine you, you know, try and get all of the the affiliates drunk so that they would buy more advertising and stuff like that. And so that event was really like not much of an exaggeration of what actually goes on. And you're like, bookmark this, there will be a fight here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so again, um, as a writer in animation, you're always looking for settings that you can make use of because, you know, after a hundred plus episodes, you know, having, having people punch each other out can get kind of boring. And so making use of interesting settings where you can use, use that as part of the fight and everything is, is really important. Um, Another thing that was in the the original outline was was just a throwaway line uh, was that her henchmen were the uh, were the pinup boys, uh, and I didn't know what those were. I just thought that was sort of a funny name for them, and I think it was that was Hillary who came up with the idea of dressing them up as Chippendale dancers. Perfect. <laughs> uh, also, like the the objectification of like male henchmen is a very fun thing. Yeah, like it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it was uh, a nice counterpart to, like, uh, the Penguins henchmen, uh, Ren and Sparrow, who were these sort of sexy girls and yeah. things like that. So it was sort of the same thing flipped on its head. Um, and I always sort of felt like, this is not said in the episode, but that the way that she controls those guys was uh, with sexual favors. 
so that, you know, she still, she knows she still has enough of that to sort of make use of. Yeah. The, her, she's so interesting. I mean, I wish I, if there was another Calendar Girl episode, were there any stories brewing, or do you feel like she's a one-and-done kind of I think villain? we could have done more with her if there had been um, if there had been opportunities. I don't know that we ever got around to discussing it. Um, as I was saying, we really were sort of looking deep into the catalog of, of rogues galleries things. And so, I mean, we also did Firefly uh, in, in this run of things. And... Um, we looked at doing Copperhead. We never got around to doing Copperhead. Um, Popped up in Justice League, yeah, but yeah. more as, you know, thrown in with an injustice. Yeah, I mean, I actually had a pretty good outline at one point. I can't remember what the story was, but I had a pretty good uh, Copperhead outline that was written when we weren't sure whether there were going to be more episodes coming around. Oh, that's fun. Um and one that I couldn't get Alan to bite on, but I really liked this idea was was there in the comics? There's a a, a pair of villains called Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yes. Um, and I had the idea of telling the story from the standpoint of uh, that he's this that Boss Tweed would be this political character who was who was doing crimes. And Batman knows he's doing crimes, but he always has an alibi. And that he, Batman can't figure out why he has, always has an alibi, and that you don't reveal it until very late in the story that there's a twin uh, going on, and there's, there's actually two of them. Yeah. And that they would have a psychic connection so that they always knew what the other one knew. And so Batman couldn't trip them up by saying, well, you know, you didn't know this or something. And so I thought that would be really interesting. Um, but we were never able to get that story off the ground. So, you know, there still were some interesting uh, villains that we could have mined along the way. But Yeah, do you think, do you still have access to those outlines, or did you keep them, or are they gone in an archive somewhere? I have some of them at home. I, the I, For some reason, my, my archive of the Batman things is is kind of incomplete. I think I wrote, like, things on my computer and then passed them off, and they mm-hmm. went into the Warner Brothers mainframe, you know, at that point, and then I didn't get them back. So I, you know, I have some of the, the original stuff that I generated, but not a complete sort of iteration of all of it. Well, at some point, my unofficial quest will be to somehow convince DC Comics to compile <laughs> some of the unused material and used, you know, scripts and boards and stuff like that, because I, I know people people really love hearing about that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting from looking at it from this end of the thing because um, writing in children's television is sort of like throwing time bombs out the window. It's like you never know what kind of impact it's going to have until like years later and then somebody comes up to you and say, you know, oh my God, this was so important to me in my childhood. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like... Really interesting. From yeah, how did you, when you were working on the shows, did you feel like, oh man, we're we're doing something great here, or was it kind of like, we're this is a job and we're doing the best we can? And oh no, we were definitely aware that we were doing good work, um, and that it was a really a really uh, special time um, because Warner's. Jean McCurdy was was the boss at that time, and she was like the best boss ever. Um, she liked artists, which is 
unusual in an executive. She trusted artists and she would get the best people and people that she just liked being around. And, and her whole thing was to sort of organize it like a big party. You know, it's like, come on in, play here, have the best time you can, you know, do the best work you can. And so there were not a lot of restrictions on what you could or couldn't do or stuff like that as long as you got the work done. Um, and so as we had this unit that, that all had a sort of shared goal of what the show was, and we were all working towards that same goal. Uh, and that's unusual. It's unfortunately, it's unusual. You know, a lot of times you get on shows and people are pushing different directions and pulling and saying, you know, no, I want to do this. No, I want to do this. But when you, when you rarely and occasionally get into those shows where everybody's like pointed the same direction and going, you feel it. You know, you feel something special is going on. And we definitely felt that with Batman. Do you feel like that requires you as a writer or any sort of artist to kind of be a little more humble about it or like, you know, be, be willing to let things go more easily? Well, from my standpoint, I, I like a good idea and I don't care where it comes from. Um, uh, early on in my career at Hanna-Barbera, because of the amount of sort of network notes and things that uh, there were at the time, we had to write everything, every shot down on paper. And, the, you know, I remember one time the storyboard artist came to me and said, you know, there, there's more I could do with this. You know, I, I, if, if you didn't overwrite things, there's more I could do here. And I was real sympathetic to him because I had come from boarding uh, and stuff like that. But that was what was required for the network executives to see what we were talking about. Right, for them to visualize and approve something. Yeah. And so uh, things were much looser uh, under Jean McCurdy, uh, and particularly at that point, because she was in charge of not only the production studio, but also of the network at that time. And so she would just say, do your thing. And she, she wouldn't even bother us about what it, anything. A dream. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I call it benign neglect. You know, <laughs> it was just, it was great. And so we were able to really establish a vision of what we were doing and Alan Burnett was critical to that. Um, and he is really the, the undersung and underrated hero of, of all of the DC animated universe because I always refer to him as the grown-up in the room. That if you leave Bruce and Paul together, um, they'll come up with great ideas and then they'll, they'll fight about things or they won't talk to each other for, for weeks on end <laughs> and things won't get done. Alan is always able to bridge that gap and get things done. And so things never would have happened without him. And yet he also allowed everybody else to sort of put their creativity and stuff into it. So he's just big fan of Gene McCurdy, big fan of Alan Burnett. You know, they're really like the secret sauce in all of this. And, and Bruce is great uh, and has a very strong vision, but he's tough on people, you know, and, and people burn out working with him. Um, so it's, you know, it's finding that balance of, in, in the makeup of the crew that really makes it happen. Um, so, and as far as my role in all of this goes, uh, a lot of times in my career, if I was to use a baseball analogy, um, I'd say I, I was sort of like the, the late inning reliever. 
that a lot of times when I came onto a show, the tone of it was set up and already, and it was my job to sort of figure out what the DNA of that was, and then trying to continue it at a high level to, so that it would come out at the end at, 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 on a strong note. Which is a tough thing to do and pull off successfully. Yeah, it's it's not easy, and you don't want people to go, oh, well, that's the season that it got really sucky. No, I've said that, but luckily that's not <laughs> what happened. <laughs> but I'm sure there is that, like you know, everybody had loved it, and there was already like even this is before. Yeah, I feel like this was also like happening at the advent of like a lot more like internet talkback. Yeah, and it was interesting because they we would check the chat boards. Uh, I was probably on those chat boards as a as a you know whatever. Yeah, and uh, we would check and see you know well how did people like this episode and stuff like that. And for us, it was really great. To get some of that instant feedback, because before that we didn't get feedback other than ratings numbers, and so which are most well feel like bogus in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, no, and we knew they were, but um, but so to actually you know hear what people thought of the episodes and what they liked and what they didn't, and you know there's certain people who you go, well he's nuts, but uh, or he didn't get it or stuff like that. But for the most part, you know you get a consensus on on it that's fairly accurate in terms of where it lands on stuff like that. So getting that kind of feedback in real time was actually very valuable, I thought. Yeah, I mean, were you catering in some ways to these like diehard fans who were no, on No, 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 we were catering to ourselves. That's which is what you should be doing. But <laughs> but we were diehard fans. And so that that was interesting. And and what was also interesting was that a lot of the people who were working on it were actually you know, in comics, you're either a Marvel guy or a DC guy. Uh, a lot of them were Marvel guys. And so a lot of what we did was sort of Marvelize some of the DC characters. Yeah. So you're bringing more of like a grounded character nature to like these larger than life. Yeah. And trying to characters. trying to logic it out and say, well, you know, how does this really make sense? Yeah. I feel like you guys walked such a great balance of making it relatable in a character way, but not losing the fun of it. Yeah, uh, I mean, at least for me these days, uh, there's a lot of superhero stuff out there that uh, is trying really hard to be dark, <laughs> for dark's sake, and yeah. you know, it, it's, it's not really. There's nothing. I, I'm not going to get into that. Yes, I'm not going to keep you into talking about that. Uh, but uh, it's nice to go back and see this, and and there also is other stuff that is not doing that. I think a lot of like the TV DC stuff is. Mm-hmm. is balanced in in that way uh but you know the, it feels like you guys struck a kind of perfect harmony of what felt like everybody's right batman and that's not an easy thing to do because everybody's got a real distinct opinion about who batman should be yeah and, and there's been a lot of people <laughs> well and as i said we were all comic book fans and and the advantage that we had over the the comic book writers was that we could cherry pick and that we could say, you know, this is the best element of this character, and right. this is the best element of, uh, from, from this run, and we'll sort of tweak it or we'll use this part or take a little bit from over here and, and put it together in a new way, um, but still maintain being true to the original intention of it. Because what happens a lot of times in comics, because they have to tell so many stories, you know, there's, there's you know, how many issues of Batman titles a month? It's just so many stories that um, it, it builds up a sort of barnacles on it of on the mythology. And sometimes you have to scrape those barnacles off and take a fresh look at it and go, okay, what made this special in the first place? And mm. how can we get back to that? I 
think it's so... I mean, maybe I'm drawing a comparison where there is none, so you can let me know. Uh, I think it's interesting that, like, it feels like you were pushing for integrity uh, and finding, like, the core of what made something work. Uh, and th this was last interview, but you mentioned you were in a... You were college roommate with, with Sam Simon, mm -hmm. uh, who also feels like he was a dude who pushed for integrity, from what I hear. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's, like, you know, kind of acknowledged now as somebody who really made The Simpsons work uh -huh. uh, in a, on a deeper level. Uh, what... Did you guys connect over that kind of stuff back in the day, or uh, were you were you buddies, or did you, was there friction? Or no, there was not friction. Uh, we we were very friendly. Um, it, it was we di we didn't share a lot of uh, s stuff other than just sort of like um, you know it was in england where we were roommates we were we were studying overseas at the time and so like one one spring break we like went to scotland together and oh, traveled okay. around and stuff like that um and he was always very nice um he, i knew that he doodled a little bit but i didn't know to what extent he had an interest in in cartoons and and comics and things like that he was not real geeky about that kind of stuff uh -huh. um and he always had a really subversive sense of humor um, and so it was really hard to sort of get underneath the surface of that. Um, but at the same time, he was always very friendly and open. So it was kind of like, uh, a little bit of an arm's length, uh, relationship, but always very friendly. And he was always happy to see me and I was happy to see him. So, um, I can't say that we were like bosom buddies or, right. or things like that, but you know, his experience in starting an animation and then writing sitcoms for a while, he wrote on Taxi and on Cheers and, and stuff like that, um, made him the perfect person to sort of bridge that gap, to bring the, the sitcom experience to animation. Mm -hmm. So um, he was just like the right guy in the right time for that. Cool. Sounds like I mostly drew a comparison. <laughs> uh, but interesting to hear about nonetheless. Is there anything else about Mean Seasons you wanted to chat about? Uh, I can't think of anything else. I think we've covered it pretty well. Cool. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about what you're doing these days. Okay. Uh, what, what have you been up to? And, and you also brought a book. I did. Um, I'm still writing animation. I'm doing work for Nickelodeon. I did development work for uh, Universal recently. I'm currently on deadline writing a script for uh guardians of the galaxy oh cool uh, for marty eisenberg who also was a writer on some batman the animated series yeah great guy um and then last year uh i published my first novel uh it's called the diamond in the rough uh and it is a retelling of the snow white story set in the world of minor league baseball in the 1950s hmm um, Are you a big baseball fan? Um, not huge. I mean, I like it. Um, I spent a lot of time with my daughter who played softball and traveling around with teams and stuff like that. So I sort of feel like I have experienced a little bit of, of what that's like. Um, and with, with the animation and, and with this, I, I always feel like we're dealing a little bit with mythology. You know, that we're, we're telling new myths to ourselves and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I, I have this notion that we as Americans are, are a little bit um, 
embarrassed about our mythologies that that our fairy tales that we think fairy tale and we think well you know that's a european thing you know and that we we always go back to that model and so i was saying to myself well what would happen if we sort of took a classic fairy tale and reset it in an american setting how would that mm. play out and this is an exploration of that and uh i I'm very pleased with the way it came out. Yeah, that's fantastic. This was your first novel? Yeah, yeah. I, I've done comic books. I've done, um, you know, obviously a lot of animation writing, but this is my first novel. Congratulations. That's awesome. It's so. not easy to transition to different types of writing. I yeah, and, and what I found, uh, the biggest difference was that screenwriting is objective, that you're sitting there and you say what you can see and what you can hear. Um, and writing a novel is very subjective that, that all that sort of exterior stuff, you have to get in there, but it's the, it's the interior stuff, what's going on inside the characters at that moment. That's really important in a novel. So where can people find it? Uh, it's available on Amazon. Great. So, and it's very cheap. So you can get a Kindle version or you can get it in soft cover. Um, and it's, I think a good read. So yeah, enjoy. I'm excited to read it. Thank you for the copy. And for those of you who don't have it, you can buy one. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. It was, it's really great to hear how this was made. It was a unique time, and, a, and a re- I was really honored to be part of that experience. Well, there you have it. Another successful, dare I say, punchy Batman the Animated Podcast. Please. Be safe out there on your 4th of July weekend while you're listening to podcasts. Don't, you know, pull a giant fan into a room and blow a bunch of leaves at people. And Please, whatever you do, don't scythe somebody just because you're mad about the fact that you're turning 30. Guys, I'm 30 and I'm not kidnapping people like Tippi Hedren to kill her with a scythe. Does this make any sense? I don't know. But here we are at the end of the show. If you like the show, please... Give it a good rating on iTunes, subscribe, listen, share it around. We've got a lot of episodes at this point and a lot of great people who have been guests and only great episodes to come. Follow the podcast on Twitter at BTAS Podcast. Follow me at Hey Justin. You can go to BTASpodcast.com for more info and email me at BTASpodcast at gmail.com. I have too many social media accounts for this. One of them is going to be deleted. It's on Facebook, too. Find it on Facebook. You know what? I'm just going to spray paint it to every wall I see and put a sticker on every lamppost, and then you'll know that this podcast exists. Uh, If you're listening, you already know that. Where am I going with this? Well, I'm going to the end credits. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Justin Michael. The logo was created by Tom Smith. Casey Trela helped make the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. A special thanks to my guests, Matthew Scott Montgomery and Rich Fogle. And of course, This American Life co-creator and producer, Tori Malatia, who really helped me through some things when I felt down by saying, Don't cry, Dana. So you weren't picked for the swimsuit issue. It's who you are inside that counts. Thanks, Tori. You're a friend and a producer for another podcast. All right, guys. See you in another two weeks, a little bit more, because we're releasing this on a special day, for another Batman the Animated Podcast. Bye bye <laughs>